0: Log Talk Radio.
1: everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Rico, and I've got another great show for you tonight. It's already uh, moving into the end of April. This is the last show of April. We're going to be working into May next week, and it's just hard to believe. I don't know where the, the months are going, the days are going, but uh, I'm glad that the, the good weather is finally here. I've got a great show for you tonight. I'm going to be starting up as, as usual with a, a great round of Coach's Corner for the first hour, and I'm going to be joined uh, on the second half of the show uh, by uh, a woman who's been on the show before, uh, Peggy Rhodes-White, and she's the founder and CEO of Ted Rhodes uh, Foundation. She's the daughter of late, of the late, excuse me, uh, Teddy Rhodes, who was one of the early African-American golfers uh, and actually pioneered long before Tiger Woods and, and many of the others uh, had come on the, uh, on the scene. In fact, uh, he was a big inspiration for Tiger Woods uh, getting into golf as well. So we're going to talk with her about what's happening with the foundation and some of the tournaments that she's doing to honour her father, a little bit later in the broadcast but I want to thank you for joining me here on uh, blogtalkradio.com just remember we're live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central that's 7 to 9 for you on the East Coast and that's uh, 5 to 7 I believe uh, for those of you on uh, Pacific time and uh, quickest way to find us go to blogtalkradio.com up in the search key type golf talk live and that will take you to the main page where you can tune into the show uh, live as I said on Thursdays and for some reason if you're not able to join us during the live broadcast not a problem you can Uh, visit that link and uh, scroll down to the on-demand section, and uh, you can listen to the uh, recorded versions of all of the uh, previously aired broadcasts. But thank you for those of you that are tuning in live tonight. The audience is always continuing to grow, and I want to thank all the new listeners that have been joining in here over the last few weeks. Uh, Thank you for your uh, continued support as well. If you want to speak to any of the guests or call in during the live broadcast on Thursdays, you can do so by calling area code uh, 646-716-4667. I think there was too many sixes in there, 4667, that's right. I had to think about that one for a second. Or you can email questions or comments to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're interested in coming on the show, if you're in the golf profession, whether you're a teacher professional, coach, or uh, entrepreneur, and you want to come on and share uh, some of your uh, expertise with my audience, I'm more than happy to have you. You can reach out to me, as I said, at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And I always, of course, update the program uh, on Facebook. Go to Golf Talk Live blog on uh, Facebook. And uh, you'll see all of the uh, currently uh, aired shows and uh, always post those every week uh, through social media and also on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck, CEO, CEO, of course, in capital letters. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm starting out with uh, Coach's Corner as normal. and I got uh, three great uh, gentlemen on tonight. Uh, two have been on the show uh, before and a, new, a newbie, if you will. And uh, I'll, I'll introduce those here in just a second. Uh, first up, of course, is uh, my good buddy, Mr. Clint Wright. Uh, he's a 30-year member of the PGA and he's a partner at TGM Golf and a big proponent of the R3 approach, which he's been on and talked about the show, and, and really one of, uh, among one of my favorite guests uh, on the show. And as I was joking with him earlier, uh, he's moved up to the front of the bus uh, now, as opposed to being at the back of the bus uh, with all his hard work over the last couple of years here on the show. So I appreciate that. And uh, Scott Millman, of course, uh, hasn't been on the show for a little while. Uh, very busy doing a lot of things. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, in a while. But uh, he's a master teacher professional. He's the owner and president of the uh, Simple World of Golf, and co-owner and founder at the uh, Millman Energy uh, Foundation, which stands for No Restrictions Golf, uh, and he helps uh, a lot of the uh, wounded veterans out there uh, get back out on the golf course and, and do some great things. And he actually just relocated to Dallas. We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, as the show progresses. And certainly last but not least, uh, an, as I said, a newcomer to the panel, uh, Tony Brooks. He's a PJ Master professional, and uh, with his professional background, includes a successful tenure as a competitive golfer as well. As receiving the highest honor of the PGA as one of the 400 PGA Master Professionals. Uh, he's a passion for golf, playing as well as instructing, which has spanned over the last uh, 20 years. He's a former head professional whose career began as an apprentice at the famed Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles, California. So, uh, without any further ado, gentlemen, welcome to Golf Talk Lives, Coach's mm-hmm. Corner.
2: I'm glad to be here. And
1: thank you. Very uh, much. Th- yeah, thank you. Uh, Glad to uh, finally get that over with and get out, get all of that out, and we can get to some some conversation here, guys. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, now, obviously here, uh, Clint, you and I, and and uh, obviously Tony, and well, I guess now Scott, you're you're pretty much in the South now as well, being in Dallas. Um, we have a little bit of better advantage down here. We can pretty much for most areas play golf all year round, but there's a lot of those up in the Northeast uh, that have to wait to to springtime to sort of get out there and really do anything. And uh, I call it this uh, sort of the winter thaw. Um, so uh, what I want to talk to you guys about, and Clint, I'm going to let you start off, and, and then I'll go to Scott, and then Tony, I'll let you round out uh, the conversation. What should golfers be doing at this point? And let's, again, focus really for all golfers, but particularly those that are that are just starting to get out to the game right now. What should they be doing to prepare for the new season?
2: Well, I, I mean, I think if, if you look, at, I spent a number of years in Wisconsin, and dealing with people that, you know, we, we opened up April 15th, and we closed October 1st. Right. So we we always encourage people to not, you know, to not stop doing things that they would normally do to, to stay in shape to play year-round, you know, stay flexible, indoor facilities. They should have been hitting a few balls, making some swings. But if they hadn't, you know, I, I think that the, the simplest thing for them to understand is that they need a little patience, go out right. and start, uh, you know, don't go out and try to make driver swings right out of the box. I mean, their body's not ready for that. Uh, they may, you know, end up injuring themselves if they're not careful. Uh, they need to, you know, get in a little bit of a stretching program and start out slow and and uh, develop some patience and get back into, you know, get back into playing shape.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and you're right. You know, the, the sad thing is is I think a lot of golfers – Uh, And I'm sure you'd all agree with me that that sort of sit dormant, as I call it, for a few months um, are under the the misnomer that they're going to come out and sort of pick up where the game left off. And that's just not the case. Um, You know, the the muscles get a little rusty, right, a little tired and whatnot. Scott, um, I I know you're down in Dallas now, but uh, being up uh, you were up in the northeast as well uh, in that area. Um, what did you try to do to, to encourage uh, those that maybe didn't uh, take advantage of, of some indoor facilities through the winter months? What do you try to do to start them off right for the season?
3: See, now I know why Clint got moved up to the front of the bus because he, get, you know, he answers everything point <laughs> on, and then the rest of us have to scramble to come up with a good answer. And, yeah, you know, I, I think I think I think a big part of it is, um, you know, a lot of players they they put their clubs away. And they haven't touched them, so the the first thing I recommend is making sure that you you go through, you check your equipment, check your grips, replace your spikes. But then, you know, Clint's right. As far as the stretching and flexibility program and taking it easy, I think as you get out there, it makes sense to start with short game, work on your putting, work on your chipping, start working on your wedge play. You you can't have the expectation you're going to go out there and hit it 300 yards like you did in September. Uh, especially if you haven't hit a lot of balls. I know a lot of players don't like hitting off the mats or hitting inside a dome or even, even right. heated tees off the mats. So so the biggest part that we try to focus on is either uh, doing a TPI evaluation uh, again in the spring and kind of focus mm-hmm. on those areas that uh, may be troublesome or or lost some flexibility, you know, over the winter from not stretching or not participating in a program. And and a lot of players cross-train and you strengthen muscles that you didn't know you had or Right, So the thing that we want to do is
1: avoid injury early in the season and just take it easy. Well, um, you're up there at the front of the bus as well, Scott, so thank you. That was a great answer. that was fantastic um tony let's let's uh add a little bit uh, just a twist to this, if you will um, on this conversation. Obviously, as I mentioned, you're out in the California area, so you have an advantage much like I do here and, and Clint and, and now Scott here being in the the warmer climates, people can, can play pretty much all year round if they want. Um, but obviously you know you get i'm sure some people that travel out there from the north <clears throat> maybe haven't played in a while and they want to come down and and play some terrific t- uh, tracks down there in, in the california area um what do you do to, to to get them prepared and uh the other thing i want to ask you what about things like regripping equipment what about the equipment side of things what do they need to be looking at with their equipment adjustments do they need to be made uh that sort of thing uh tony well
4: thank you for adding a yeah, thanks, adding a little twist because I had nothing else to do. I don't want to sound like a uh, ruby on repeat myself. But uh, yeah, you know that's a great question. Uh, I actually lived in Colorado for three years, so I got a little bit of the exposure to the seasons. So I understand that winter time is a time to actually change things and work on movements to address them by the time spring rolls around. You know, it's that's probably the most important part of being a golfer and understanding setting these small goals to reach the long term goals. Is what do I do in the off season? And typically, I get Students that don't realize that or have, have, haven't done anything, obviously, you know, sometimes it's good to get away from golf for a little bit. Uh, but, you know, just readjusting your goals, readjusting uh, where you want to go for this season. Maybe it's working on the short game, maybe it's working on um, your wedge control, maybe it's working on getting more f- uh, flexibility or fitness. But you really have to sit down and set up these realistic goals with your professional and, and take these small steps to get those goals. Now, in, in terms of equipment, I'm not necessarily the person to talk to that because I play with clubs and my grips are 14 years old.
2: So (laughs) that's
4: just a personal (laughs) preference. I mean, I, you, you take a look at my grips and my grips have molded into my hands and my hands into my grips. So I'm a little bit strange in that aspect, but I do understand the importance of changing your grips. Um, having, having somebody take a look at your swing as well as your equipment, because one can, can help the other. I don't think that either one of them is as important as the other though.
1: Right. No, I, I agree. And, and, you know, I, everybody has to certainly do what works for them. And, and a great answer as well, uh, Tony. Boy, right out of the gate, he's already up at the front of the bus. And he's just the first time on the coach's corner panel. So uh, great job, guys. Um, let me just ask this. You know, Scott, you raised a really interesting point uh, about doing, you know, an assessment right at the beginning of the year. And I, I think you probably all agree with that, whether you've worked with a student before or not. I, I think right out of the gate, you know, coming into a new season, I think that's obviously the time that you want to reassess, um you know that particular individual again whether you're dealing with them or not uh, on a regular basis uh, or they're a newcomer to to your venue um i think the importance of doing a, a, a an assessment right from the gate uh, from day one before you get into any sort of routine would you all pretty much agree with that unanimously i think absolutely oh, yeah yes. yes okay well i i think yeah and i and i think that we're all you know on the same boat there is there anything else? What else should uh, any other thing on the checklist that a golfer should do? Uh, obviously, the physical fitness, getting an assessment done right from the get-go, maybe checking their equipment. Uh, anything else that we might have left out? Anybody can think of? You know, how about nutrition? Um, right. You know, we we've talked about it a little bit on and off
3: throughout you know throughout the sessions and the shows that we've done, but I, I think you know checking your nutrition, um, golfers or athletes, and. You know, I I know we all go through the holidays and and we have a couple extra pieces of pie. I I know when I'm around the kids that I tend to eat more Dairy Queen (laughs) than I'm supposed to. And, um, you know, a lot of that has an effect on your game, especially on on the mental aspect of it. And I I think it's, it's worth looking at your diet. Are you eating healthy? Are you eating the right foods? Are you keeping hydrated? I think water is probably the biggest thing. Um, that I need to get across to my students that they, most of them don't drink enough, and they end up dehydrated. And when you're dehydrated, you make poor decisions on the golf course.
1: Yeah, you're right. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to correct you. Just make a, a minor correction. That a lot of them do drink enough, and unfortunately, it's not what they should be drinking going around the <laughs> golf course. And that's probably why a lot of them end up getting dehydrated. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's a, a
2: dehydrator, not a hydrator. <laughs> there you
1: yeah. go. You know, the other thing, too, is and I, I got to laugh. I just want to interject and then, then we'll move on. But, you know, I, I had a laugh. Uh, I, I was at, uh, I think it was at Bay Point. And, and I know, Clint, you know where I'm talking about here in Panama oh, City yeah. Beach. Right. And uh, there was a young group of guys came out and they were up on the first tee. And I, I swear between the group of them, there was a foursome. <laughs> they must have had at least a couple of those monster energy drinks before they went out there. I never seen four guys go around that golf course so fast. my entire life because they were all hopped up on these energy
5: drinks
1: (laughs) and you know i i don't have a problem i'm not a big proponent of the energy drinks i I personally don't believe in them but for some people they swear by it i I think if you wanted to have one that would be maybe okay but you know if you're using that to hydrate with and you're you know one after another um you're certainly going to not have to worry about playing a four-hour round um how good you're going to be i don't know but uh but anyways uh Scott, great point. You've got to hydrate yourself, and nutrition is certainly important. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, but it takes a lot of energy to play 18 holes. Even in a golf cart, there's still a lot of energy uh, used throughout uh, that 18-hole round. And uh, if you're not eating properly and, and eating um, the, not just the proper things, but eating, you know, sort of nibbling along the way, if you will, and, and not, you know, sort of gouging on, on fast foods or, or, you know, hot dog at the turn, That's not going to give you the energy you need to to carry out to the back nine. That's a a great point to make. All right, I want to flip this around, and and Scott, I'm going to start back with you, and then Tony, and then we'll follow up with Clint. Um, What's on your to-do list at the beginning uh, of the season? Anything special that you guys do uh, to prepare uh, for your new season? Uh, Scott, you go ahead, and and, then Tony and Clint.
3: Wow, that's a a great question. You've never asked that one before.
1: No. Well, Um, this this is a new season, Scott. You haven't been here in a while, so.
3: I mean, go I mean Tony's, Tony's got grips that are 14 years old, and, and my first response is, <laughs> you know, the first thing that I think about is, is going through my equipment. Um, and, and I think each year, you know, as I get older, and, and we won't say how old I am at this point in time, but I, I think I need to um, go back and, and typically assess um, my physical strength, my flexibility, you know, whether or not I want to hit forge blades, you know, whether or not I want to get into the latest technology and am I going to gain anything by doing that and spending the money to do that. Um, so I think for me, my, my first priority is, is to go through an equipment check. Um, and then the second part of that is going through a physical check. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of running and, I, you know, I get tight. I do a lot of lifting over the winter and don't swing a golf club very much. And um, the swing has a tendency to get tight and short and change and quick. Um, so at the beginning of the season, for me, it's really important to start working on tempo uh, and just working through, working on a lot of wedges and, and trying to find feel and, and work on flexibility. That's, that's usually where I start most every year, um, and this year will probably be no exception. Except I'll be able to play almost year-round now down in, in Dallas, so I'm, I'm kind of excited oh, yeah. about that. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll have you'll have a good time in Dallas. Lots of great courses there. Um, you won't get you won't get you'll get a, a different type of members' bounce though on some of those uh, firmer fairways in, in Texas <laughs> though with that heat. Uh, mind you, they've been softening up this year with all the rain. But, uh, anyways, uh, Tony, what about yourself? What what uh, what do you do to prepare for the season for yourself and uh, getting ready? Well, I'll
4: tell you what. You know, now, and I'm sure like the other members of the panel, we don't get to play as much as we used to. Uh, especially, right. I have a family now, and my priorities is actually with golf and working with my students. So, you know, my my focus is my students. What do I get them ready to play, and how do I get them better prepared for their uh, year upcoming year? But I'll go off of You know, the occasional time I do get to go play golf, every now and then with a student of mine, you know, I don't want to go and completely embarrass myself. So I will hit a few golf balls before the round. And instead of focusing on striking the ball, you know, because if you ask a brand-new player and you ask a tour player how many great shots did they strike the way they wanted to strike, the answer is usually two to three. So we're all in the same level of expectation. Um, So I don't focus on that level of expectation anymore. I focus on just keeping it somewhere straight, hit it somewhere near the green, and then let my chipping and putting save myself. And I, and I think the problem with most amateurs is they, I see it all the time, is you look at the driving range, and I have 20 stalls at my mm. facility, and there's, you know, 20 people waiting, another 20 people waiting for them, and then I'm having a putting green, and there's, you know, and there's three or four people practicing their putting, and no one ever wow. gets any better. And they wonder why they don't get any better, because 60% of your shots come from 50 yards and in, so why don't you spend 60% of your time on the short game? You see it all the time. Everyone's just focusing on striking the ball perfectly. In the real world, even the best players in the world strike the ball perfectly two to three times. So that's where I try and teach my students to just be realistic with themselves, or else they're just going to set themselves up for disaster.
1: Yeah, and, and well said, uh, uh, Scott and, and Tony as well. Uh, great answers. You know, you're, you're exactly right. And, and, and Clint, I know you're going to you're going to chime in <laughs> on on that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sure rant can... on that for a minute. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Clint, you're gonna you're gonna commit on that one, but uh, oh, yeah. but no, you're exactly right. Go ahead, Clint. Let it let it fly.
2: Well, Tony, I don't know where you've been on my life, son, but that was wonderful. I mean,
0: you're, you know,
2: you're absolutely. I mean, Ted can tell you. Is it? I have a program that we just started. i get back to what I do. It's a great story right now, but we have a program that that we operate under called the Third Shot Program. And we don't have time for me to explain it right now, but, Tony, I'll get in touch with you later on. And sure. we we run a third-shot program. And But the question was, is what do we get prepared? And I'll tell you what, what you have to do. I'm almost 60 years old, and I think this, this spring was the first time that I didn't go ask my doctor whether I should get into this exercise program, and I should have. <laughs> <laughs> and... I uh, I just now have played my second round of golf since the 1st of March because I got into a new stretching program and stuff and bruised the meniscus on my left knee. Mm. Couldn't hardly walk. I mean, you know, but it's gotten better. So I think that uh, Scott's absolutely correct. We have to evaluate ourselves uh, as we go. And one thing he brings up about equipment, I went down and I started hitting regular shafted irons. Yeah. You know, club speed's not there. I still, you know, play the graphite woods and stuff, but evaluate my equipment. Is this the best thing that I can play with? You know, played with a set of clubs for three or four years and got to a point not swinging as hard as I used to, not capable of swinging as hard as I used to. So am I stubborn enough to stay with what I think I ought to play with, or should I go down a a step? And to be honest with you, I went down to a regular flex shaft and really improved my ball striking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I no. Mean,
2: I... I mean, you have to do that, and we have to be honest with ourselves enough. It's just like Tony was saying that most people are not honest with themselves enough to go chip and putt. They never you accept know, the fact that they're hitting it okay, and go over there and do something. Because
0: what really
2: gets me, and Tony, I think you'll agree with this. I get emails from guys all over the place. I got one yesterday. I said, "Put your left foot here. Add thirty yards to your drive." I'm going really. <laughs> I mean, we get it preached to us all the time that it's about straighter and longer. But the best players in the world understand that it's not. But a lot of our, and the problem we have as teachers is that we have students coming with the expectations we're going to take them to the driving range and show them how to hit it straighter and longer. And we like to eat like everybody else does, so you're going to kind of give your customer what they're asking for. So we get trapped into the fact that we don't take them to that practice facility to teach them how to hit the third shot, teach them how to chip and putt,
1: because that's not really what our customers are being told they should do. Yeah, that, that's so, an excellent. Yeah, that's an excellent point, um, you know, Clint, and and I think everybody on the panel would agree with you. You know, the sad thing is, and and going back to what Tony was talking about earlier about you know the the drives and things like that. Right. Uh, and 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 the bays, you know, being two or three deep. The problem is there's been, and we've talked about this. Now, and I'm I no bones about this. I love equipment. I think it's great. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff out there um, with some of the technology. But the marketing programs have been so aggressive over the years in getting, you know, like you said, put your left foot here and do this, do that, and you're going to get ten, twenty, thirty extra yards. But the reality is, if you don't know how to make solid contact with the golf ball, I don't care what club anybody puts in your hand. You're not going to achieve those results that, that are being promoted, and that bothers me as somebody in the profession as well, because it sets us up for failure. Because everybody, as, as we all can relate to, comes to us saying, "Well, I want this and I want that," and it's right. just not realistic. Um, and and if we could just, you know kind of swallow our pride a little bit and and as an industry and say okay look here's the reality this is where you need to be focused on yeah it's great to hit a a monster drive once in a while but the truth of the matter is as as tony had put in and clint i know you would from basically 60 yards in or maybe even 100 yards in is where you're scoring not uh, 100 yards out um and and i think it's just uh it's a great program that you have clint i know that and uh i just think that uh we have to just be a little bit smarter uh, about our approach. on And I know you guys do that, um, but I think as an industry we have to be smarter. Yeah, I agree. We
2: I, actually expanded out past 100 yards. Cause <coughs> I, I have some ladies that, that can't, that's hitting seven wood for the third shot. Yeah. So we we bring it a little further out, but that, that's for another day.
1: Yeah, no, and, and you're right. And, and you know, that's, that's the other thing, too, is as an industry you have to continually adjust and, and, make changes. Um, Clint, uh, I'm going to give you uh, a chance to catch your breath and, and Tony, I'm going to start sure. you off on this one here. Uh, and then we'll flip to Clint and then Scott, I'll let you round out this question. Um, the word coaching seems to be coming up a lot everywhere. Everybody's coaching now. Um, are more teaching pros switching from traditional lessons to a more, uh, coaching platform? And, uh, and if so, is it a good thing? Uh, Tony,
4: well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, our operation is solely based on introducing golf to new people. So we're trying to get the 90 million people that are interested in playing this golf, this game of golf. So our philosophy is how do we get them to want to try this game? Um, and it's not necessarily just learning how to strike a golf ball because, let's be realistic, <coughs> the word golf doesn't really flash excitement. You know, I don't see many young people saying, wow, golf, that sounds fun. You know, it's still in that old adage of you know it's an old man sport, it's a rich man sport. So how are we trying to attract people? You know, so we have to kind of flip it and say, you know, we're not we're not instructors, we are coaches. And I believe it is a good thing because I have a junior right. program where I've got pushing thirty thirty five kids now in seven months, and I I teach them very little about golf. I teach them more about life, and it's not really the first tee. You know, I try and get involved in their in their school work and make sure that they are involved in their community and make sure that they listen to their parents and give them a sportsmanship environment, and I'm doing it through golf. You know, my philosophy is golf stands for game of life first. So I'm teaching them the game of life through golf. And I think that's why we are getting so successful as a company is because we're using that, that approach. We're not, you know, I don't really care if you're have if you laying the club off or if you have one plane, two plane, stack and tilt. I mean, I can teach all of those, but that's not my passion. My passion is teaching golf because golf has saved my life. It has been a part of my life. It's been a part of my dad's life, his dad's life. It's been a part of our generation. It's 2,000 years old, so why aren't we protecting this game and passing it on correctly? So yes, I think right. the word uh, coach should be applied.
1: Yeah, and I agree. Um, the reason why I asked this, and I think, uh, Clint, was I going to you next? I can't remember. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, Clint, the reason why I asked this is, you know, we hear so many different things changing in in the industry, Uh, And I just wonder, I mean, I understand, I know the answers to it, but uh, I just want to get everybody's input into this. Is this just another sort of a buzzword that's being adopted by the industry, or is it a legitimate transformation, if you will, from, because most people are not signing up, you know, for three or four lessons the way they did. They want um, a more in-depth approach. Is this just sort of a a flash in the pan that's next? uh, No. Or or is it the way the, the industry is going?
2: Well, I, I think, Tony, you, you should be greatly commended for, for your approach. I mean, I think it's wonderful. I tend, though, now at my stage, I'm not growing the game so much. I'm I'm doing more coaching now, but through the third shot program. That's a coaching program. To take a, an existing player, analyze what they're doing, and try to convince them or coach them into improvement. Now, I think that, that – nature of how our our number of players have went stagnant. See, I see a little different than Tony. I I see a new player needs instruction, mm-hmm. basic instruction and technique. Now, right. that, that's being a teacher or an instructor, where I'm not really dealing with that so much now in my career. I'm dealing with existing players trying to help them maximize what they already do. Okay? So, I think that the, the thing, Ted, that you're recognizing is that we don't have enough new people coming into the game for yeah. us to, to make a living being teachers or instructors. So we're adapting to our marketplace and becoming coaches because we have more long-term players now that are looking for help than we do have beginners. Okay? So, no, I think our industry is adapting to our marketplace. Right. And we need more Tonys out there bringing i don't care how old they are, you know new people to the game, juniors, you know millenniums, whatever age it is it's a new player. Those players need technical instructions, and i like I said before is that I truly believe that that we're beginning to mimic our market and hopefully trying to give our market more of what they want and and it's a I think it's a complete natural consequences of our market and our uh, player numbers being stagnant or going down. We're just adapting to our
1: customer. Yeah, I I, I agree. Well said, uh, both of you. Um, Scott, what about you? Um, I think you would probably agree that that, uh, coaching is is really, uh, as uh, Clint had just put, is adapting to what the market is right now. Um, But is it something that, that is is sort of going to pass us by here and something else will come out or or is it something that that you have adopted as well as more of a coaching platform uh as, as opposed to just sort of traditional have we in other words have we outgrown um you know the the traditional golf lesson now morphed into something a little bit more um committal
3: no honestly i i actually fall right in between both of them i think as instructors Um, We're first and foremost ambassadors of the game uh, and it's our job to bring uh, new students to the game uh, and and instruct and teach and bring them along a lot like Tony's doing. And and then there's the flip side. There's your established uh, players that you have that you've worked with that, you know, for whatever reason, don't want instruction. They're not receptive to instruction, but they need refinement in, course management or the mental game or just overall they need some tweaks with equipment or stretching or, or whatever it may be. Um, and I think I fall right in between both of them. Um, I get a, a rash of students that are new, and, and then, again, working with veterans that have disabilities, uh, it's, a, it's an entirely different demographic that you're dealing with that you want to bring into the game. And it's my responsibility as part of the being having a foundation is, uh, being able to educate not only individual players but golf golf course owners and operators as well about what accessible golf is like, uh, being able to have an accessible cart uh, and how people can call the course and have, give them 48 hours to make sure those carts are charged and, and available. So I, I think you, it's, gonna, it's here to stay, and I think as long as you have tour players on both sides that have a full-time staff of masseuse a a sports psychologist, a coach, a swing coach, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's going to be here to stay. And I think, I think Clint's right. We're going to have to continue to adapt to our marketplace. And that's a big part of it as well.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, guys, uh, again, across the board, well said. Um, you know, something else, too, uh, on, on Tuesday morning, of course, uh, as most of you know, uh, I host uh, a morning show with uh, LPGA professional Cindy Miller uh, called The Women of Golf, and it's, again, geared towards uh, more of a female market. We're trying to establish that as well. And our, our guest this week was uh, LPGA professional Mary Rabb. I don't know if uh, spar spelled R-A-B-B. Uh, she is, I believe, also from uh, – not no, uh, not – Indianapolis sorry I'm trying to remember where she was from but you know there's other newer markets you know Scott you're doing something here working a lot with uh, with a lot of the veterans not which uh, is an area certainly veterans have played for for years uh, golf but you're really taking it at, to sort of that next level um what Mary talked about this week which is something really I hadn't really given a lot of consideration myself but um she has started working a lot with special needs children Um, and getting them, introducing them to golf and had some phenomenal success uh, in not only reaching through, uh, getting them out playing golf, but just reaching through them. And and obviously, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of children out there with not just physical disabilities uh, and those needs, but also emotional um, needs as well. And she's found a lot of success. Um, so, I, I really see a platform there as well um, where golf professionals can sort of work together and pool their resources and, and really get into markets that have not traditionally been um, what we perceive as, as our golf market. So, I see a lot of growth in that area as well as the junior markets and, and women's markets as well. Um, guys, I want to. We, we kind of talked a little bit about this, uh, or it was mentioned earlier on. I, I don't recall. I think it might have been Tony that mentioned something about this. Um, but last week on the panel, we talked about handicaps with sort of the general. Overall, they're still really not moving uh, all that much uh, compared to what I think they should be. Um, I'll go from the beginning to, to end again, Clint, uh, and then Scott, and then Tony. Um, your thoughts on that. What, what's the problem? Why are handicaps not moving?
2: Well, you know, and again here, we're going back to my our third shot program. It's phenomenal <laughs> what, what we're doing here. The first question we ask people when we sit them down in the group is why aren't handicaps coming down? We got better equipment. We got better golf courses. We got more availability than we've ever had. Golf is as cheap as it's ever been. And practice facilities are everywhere. So why hadn't handicaps come down? Well it's 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 real simple the way we look at it. Nobody's focusing on what's gonna bring their handicap down. It's just what we talked about earlier. Tony brought it up. They're they're focusing on hitting the ball versus playing the game. You know, the second thing we ask them is, do you understand what the first rule of the game is? <clears throat> rule one in the rule book. It's title of the game. You hit a ball in succession of strokes until it's hold. So the objective of the game is to put the ball in the hole. Okay, we've lost sight of that. We 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 train and we see it every day on television. Okay, and in in media everywhere that this game is about hitting it straighter and hitting it further. Okay? That's yeah, what we—that's yeah. what sells. So I think a lot of it is, is that, to be honest with you, the vast majority of the golfing publics drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, they're not yeah. paying attention to what is going to lower their scores. Now, and what we tell them is, now, look, folks, it, hitting it out there and feeling that, that ball coming off that club face is what you really like to do, which is perfectly fine. You know, you hit that perfect 8-iron or that great drive off the tee, we can all walk out of our chest pumped up, you know, we're ready to go. But the thing of it is, and that those are the days I don't keep score. Right. Because so that's not what I'm out there for. Right. Okay. So if, if that's what you want to play for, wonderful. Just play as much as you can. That's what we want you to do. But if you're really trying to lower your score, you've got to analyze what you're doing and revamp your approach. You know, that old thing about insanity, you know, keep doing yeah. the same thing over and over again. That's what we do. We
1: expect different results, and it never shows up. Yeah, that, that's that, that's some great points, you know, and, and, and this Real is, simple. you know, yeah, this is what we talked about last week, and, you know, we we talked about some different areas, of course, but generally that was what we, uh, the, the gist of the conversation, and, and I know the other two, I'm sure, would, would concur with that, but uh let me, again, put a little bit of a twist. Scott, I'm going to jump to you. What do you try to do to, you know, encourage some of the, the folks that you're working with um, to focus on bringing those numbers down? I mean, we can get them on the tee and, you know, work on their ball striking till the cows come home. But as Clint just pointed out, um, that's certainly going to help, but only to a certain point. Um What do you try to do to, you know, when you get bombarded by some of your students saying, look, I I just want to do this or I want to do that? How do you convince them? What's the procedure that you try to do to convince them that this is where they need to be focusing on?
3: You know what, Ted, there is no convincing them. We all know how important putting is to the game, but it was mentioned earlier, you could have 100 people standing on your tee line in in an empty putting green because nobody wants to practice putting. Nobody wants to practice the short game, even though that's the most important part of the game. It's said week in and week out on the LPGA tour and the PGA tour and the senior tour, how important short game is. Um, you've got the likes of Phil Mickelson who you know, always hear about his short game, but yet nobody wants to practice it. So I think the next step for me is with my students is, is to get them out on the golf course and work on course management. And if I've got a chronic slicer that I know is not going to take lessons and is not going to do the drills to correct that slice, then it becomes how do we manage that shot shape around a golf course to lower scores? That, that's the next best weapon that I think I have in my arsenal because I'm not going to get them to take the lessons or even if I get them to take the lesson, they're not going to make the correction because it involves too much work. And, and I know for a fact they're not going to work on their short game or their putting because it's not a lot of fun. And, again, the marketing is longer and straighter and you know, the fanciest equipment you're going to gain, 20 yards with the new driver. Okay. That's just not the case. And and so I think that's probably the next best avenue we have as instructors is to get them out on the course uh, and work course management. You may be able to work in some different short game shots uh, in a different environment with a little more fun, and, and you're playing versus doing it around the green, you know, in a practice setting. And I think that really seems to help at times.
1: Yeah, and, and I like that. Uh, I like that approach well. Um, Tony, you know, is is it people – you know afraid to stand over a putt uh and on the practice screen is it is that they're worried that they're, uh, out in california that they're going to get a sunburn on the back of their neck or, or what's the story why uh you know what, what's the deal why don't people want to practice the areas they know they should be
4: well uh, i wish it was that easy you know i think it's part of what everyone is saying and i'm in total agreement that the golf industry has turned equipment into something that you use into something that you use up like gas and you have to get a new set every season and You know, ten more yards straight or longer and straighter and yada yada. But they forget the art of of scoring. You know, I've taught so many people with great swings that just don't have the art of scoring, and they just can't get any better. And I've taught people with horrible swings that know how to get the ball in the hole. It's a simple game. It's get the ball in the hole as quick as you can, no matter how ugly or pretty it looks. Just get it done. And some people have that in them. So there's there's a whole different array I can talk to you about. You know, handicap system, I used to teach the handicap system tournament management in a in a golf college down in San Diego, and I can go on an hour about how flawed the handicap system is. So there's a problem with the handicap system itself. But I think that it's it's a combination of, you know, you, you look at a bell curve of anything, you know, the average IQ is 100. Let's look at the average golf handicap is 16.9, whatever that number is now. It's, it's probably not going to get any better because people, I call it the golf IQ. You know, you don't get the people that spend enough time practicing correctly you don't get the people that understand the nuance of the game and the arts of the game uh they they just they're just one of the i hate to use the term but one of the lemmings that just kind of gets up and goes through the motions and don't understand how to get the ball in the hole quicker um so it's it's just a combination of everything but like i do with my students is i make them prove it to themselves i have them keep statistics every round i have them keep how many putts did they have, how many fairways did they hit, how many greens did they hit, how many up and downs did they take, everything. And I make sure that they do this. And if they don't do it, I hold them accountable. You know, I'm holding them accountable just like they should hold me accountable. And we look at these numbers and we look at, man, I really had six three putts? I don't remember that. I think most people forget that stuff. So just to hold them accountable and prove to themselves that this is how I can increase my score better quicker.
1: Yeah, great, great points. You know, I think what happens, and and you raise a, a very interesting point. I think a lot of golfers um, develop at some sort of at some point through the round, a, kind of a brain fog that they they forget those, you know, two or three bogeys they they shot in the front nine, and and uh, and I think also to um, a, a certain amount of anxiety. I think emotions. You know, we've talked about this in the show as well. Emotions play a huge part in golf, and we all have seen it ourselves. You know, we'll get out there and maybe start off with a few good shots uh, to start a round off, and then somewhere along the line, maybe have a couple of bad holes. And and suddenly that momentum that you started out with seems to, to shift a little bit. Uh, you don't certainly see it to the same de- degree at the pro level, um, but at the amateur level, you, you definitely see it quite often. Uh, somebody starts out with a great round and then suddenly has you know two or three really bad holes slung together, and suddenly they, they, they sort of lose that uh, drive and momentum and, and don't want to focus on things. And, and, and there is no really magic formula. Um, other, I mean, you can show them stats and show them figures all the time, uh, all day long. And people just, for whatever reason, as, as you pointed out and all of you pointed out, just you know don't seem to understand or get it um, that that you know being on the tee, hitting their their $400 uh, driver. Uh, is not going to help lower their scores. And, you know, I, I'm sure you all would concur on this as well. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, how many people come to you with that new piece of equipment, and had you been able to take the money that they spent on that equipment <laughs> and put them through, uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a few weeks uh, coaching uh, on the areas that we know are going to prove and get the results, you'd be amazed. Um, and then, And then buying that $400 driver down the road when they've got a good solid game to play with, would be would be their reward, um, you know so if they so choose, but um, I, I want to ask you guys another uh, uh, another question as well uh, that I think is kind of interesting and uh, scott i 'm going to start with you and then Tony and then Clint. Um, what gets you most excited about teaching golf? What really gets your juice flowing thing? I, I love doing what i 'm doing
3: that that is a great question, and I think for me uh, because of the work that I do through the foundation, but just in general. I think when, when I'm working with a student and that little light bulb goes on and they get it, or you have that new student that hits it solid or gets it in the air for the first, first time, and that light bulb goes off and they get excited, for me, that <clears throat> there's nothing better as an instructor. Um, you know, we all teach uh, an array of different students from the beginner all the way to accomplished, pre- accomplished players. Um, and it never goes away. When, when I'm working with a, with a student, the, the thing that excites me most is when they get it, be it a drill or they hit a shot for the first time, they get a ball airborne for the first time, or they correct shot shape for the first time that excites me more than anything. I, I think as, as an instructor, that's what you, what teaching is about, is, is being able to see somebody smile and that light bulb go off. And after they've been struggling with, let's say, hitting a slice for years and years and years, and you make that correction and all of a sudden they get it or they get that feel and they go, I got it. That's, that's what's exciting. And I get to see that a lot uh, when we do the clinics uh, with the veterans, that there, there's no better time for me as an instructor is when I get to go out there and and help and, and really teach the game in a different way, because everything we do is kind of adaptable at that point. And uh, I I think that excites me more than anything.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and and you use some great work, Scott, um, and, and certainly keep it up. No, a a great point. I I like that. Um, Tony, what about you? What, what gets you excited about teaching golf?
4: I would have to say the connections I make, you know, it's, For me, it's nice to see a student hit a great shot and it does feel great, but at the end of the day, when I get a phone call uh, from a student saying, hey, you know, I really enjoyed our time together, you got me away from life for a second, that makes it worth it for me because golf, like I said before, has saved me quite a few times and I'm sure it saved a lot of people. And just to give you an example, I was at my driving range a couple days ago and I saw this this young gentleman, he probably was in his early 20s hitting golf balls and he was it looked like he was struggling, so I walked down and introduced myself to him, and I found out uh, he hadn't played in eight years, and I was trying to figure out, you know, where would you go? And he said he went on a vacation because he got in some trouble when he was younger. So without, you know, pushing that subject, I obviously knew what that meant. Uh, but right. he was here because he, it, it was his zen place. It was his place to get away from problems, and he didn't feel like he was judged on a golf course. And here I am, you know, a, a person who's gone on my venture, my journey through golf, and I'm talking to this young man, and he looked like a great individual, learned his lesson, and we made this great connection. And I come across that on a daily basis, and that to me is more important than seeing somebody strike a golf ball because it's, you know, now you know you've touched somebody's life and they can touch somebody else's life and, and get this momentum going. Like I said, this game is very, very old, and it comes from uh, a different country, it comes from China. You know, it's evolved around the golf uh, golf world and it's come back to us. So how can we keep this generational Thing going, you know, to the next generation. I I guarantee you, ask most people, they started this game of golf through a relative. So how can we keep this going? And that's what gets me going is understanding that when I'm gone, I've made my footprints in golf, protecting the game that I love with all my heart. That means the world to me. That somebody else is going to do the same.
1: Yeah, well, well said, uh, well said, Tony. And and you know, you're right. I think that um, you know, it's sort of that pay it forward mentality. The one thing I, I like about golf is it, it truly does more so than any other sport or really anything else out there that I can think of um, mimics life. There's so many challenges that you're faced with out in a golf course that mimic some of the challenges, if you really sort of put your mind to it, that we face on our day-to-day uh, life journey. And there's so many life lessons that can be learned out in the golf course. And, and I think if if a lot of people would, would understand that and think about that um, and and you know, sort of put those uh, that formula together. I think that they would have much more enjoyment, uh, and it doesn't matter whether you you know are a thirty handicap or a scratch golfer. Um, just getting out there and, and connecting with other people, and it's a great social as well as a, a business a uh, uh, thing as well. Um, Clint, I know, uh, I already know one of your answers is is being in the profession. You've had the opportunity to uh, connect with me and be on the show on Coach's Corner, and as my guest well, and and, and, and I want you to put that aside my, the It's the <laughs> highlight of my 35-year career, Ted. Yeah, I, w- I want you to put that aside and 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 give me a real answer. I'll do. What that. gets you excited?
2: Well, here's here's what Tony Tony's hit right on it. You know, two things that that I really can reflect back on, and what really was was great for me through my career. And my career's not over yet. I'm still teaching, but it's been around a while. The, the one thing right now, what I've been doing the last couple of years, is when somebody sits down and we go through our program, and they say, "I never thought about it like that." I got them then. See, they're right. beginning to get it when they say, "I never thought about," "I never thought about doing it that way," or the the approach to the game. And Scott, one of the things that, that to follow back just real quickly. When I take a person to the practice off the practice facility onto the golf course, I pick their clubs for them. I caddy for them, and proving to them if I pick the clubs that they use, their score is going to be lower. In that game management idea, don't let them pick their clubs. You pick it for them. But the second thing that really has come down to me now is that see, I'm beginning to teach third generation now. I started out with grandfather, and now I got the grandchild. And I taught the and I taught the guy's father. So Tony's <laughs> absolutely correct. Is that my legacy and his as well, and Scott's legacy and Ted's yours is mm-hmm. not the people we teach, but the people that that grandson or granddaughter brings into the game twenty years from now. Right. That's our legacy. Our legacy is not a handicap going down. It's our turn. the people we're teaching. We, we want to help them improve because they have desire to improve. But our legacy as instructors and people bringing in the game is just like the predecessors to us. We're their legacy. We brought them in. They brought us into the game. My father, I'm my father's legacy because Tony's right. I was brought into this game through family. Most people are. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the legacy that we have and the enjoyment we get, we may not actually see it. But it definitely will be the legacy that we have that we should be extremely proud of today. That when that that fourth generation, that great grandson or great granddaughter is playing golf, when we're much older than grayer, is that's what that's what's exciting to me because I've seen it already. I've been through that whole family of golfers, and it's going to continue, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, that's. That, that's a, a great way to, uh, to end the segment, Clint. Thank you for, for that. That's so right on. You know, as I, you know, as I was saying a few moments ago, really golf does mimic life in so many ways. And there are so many things that we as professionals can do. It's not about, you know, as you said, Clint, it's not about handicaps. Um, yes, we want certainly people to be able to get out and, and have enjoyment and play, but it's really, um, it, it's really a, a great social uh, game as well, uh, even though you 're sort of playing against yourself and, and the elements um, it 's a great way to connect with people i mean and again whether it 's personal or whether it 's business you know as a business uh, professional, um, what greater opportunity uh, can you have to to have a prospective client you know for four to five hours? Um, at your disposal and you don't even have to really talk about business you can just get out there and get to know that individual and a lot of friendships and a lot of bonds can be formed on the golf course um, and and the business of course uh, can follow later uh, great social a lot of a um, lot of ladies out there are using it as, as a social platform uh, they just want to get out it's something different uh, and again they have an opportunity to get together and, and uh, you know some of them out there may struggle uh, with their game and not be able to play that, that well right now, but it's a great social, um, connection for them as well. And that's why you're starting to see more and more women getting into golf. And of course they're, uh, transferring over into the business side of things as well, which I'm happy to see. So there are a lot of great, uh, great opportunities in golf, uh, both on our side and also on the student side. And, uh, uh, I can't think of, of three greater guys to have on the coach's corner panel tonight, uh, uh, Clint Wright, Scott Millman, and uh, Tony Brooks, thank you very much. I'm going to give each of you a, a quick moment here just to uh, let everybody know if they want to reach out and connect with you guys, how they can go about doing that. Uh, Tony, I'll let you go since uh, you're a newcomer tonight.
4: Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, great to speak with you guys. If you need to, uh, any more information, we're at the pgalearningcenters.com. We have seven sites in California. We're expanding across the country fairly soon. Uh, My email is T-O-N-Y-B at dot com. So feel free if you need to get in contact.
1: Perfect. And, Tony, I'm going to be happy to have you come back on the panel uh, anytime, and I know we've got you in the schedule as well. Um, Scott, I'm going to let you go. How can the folks reach out to you? And and very quickly, um, you've got an event coming up uh, here in a few months as well, Correct.
3: That is correct, Ted, and, and I think you and I will, will probably touch base again in a few more months, but um, we're going to be moving uh, No Restrictions Golf down to the Dallas area, and we're starting to put um, put those pieces together, and, and we're going to plan on having a, a free clinic, as all our clinics are free for, for veterans and their families to attend, uh, and we're going to put that together. So I can be reached at info at org, or I can be reached at Scott at the simple world of golf.com. And uh, we'll, we'll start putting details out as, as we start putting the program together down here. We're, we're really excited and uh, we hope we have a, have the same uh, response that we had uh, up in Michigan. And uh, we're really looking forward to uh, to being down here.
1: Well, I have, and thank you, uh, Scott is always good to have you back on the panel and uh, for sure you and I will, we'll connect it here in a little while and, and have you back on to talk about uh all the exciting things you're going to be doing in Dallas, and and Clint uh, certainly last but not least, um, uh, my my co-pilot on the uh, on the bus, if <laughs> you, you will. Go. Um, well, you Ted, you let, moved let up me, a notch uh, tonight. I appreciate it. Ted. Let me uh, tell everybody they can always just
2: email me. The simplest thing to do is at ClintGoff001 at yahoo dot com, and I'll be more than happy to talk to anybody. And guys, uh, Scott and, and Tony, please please uh, write that down and shoot me a, an email where I can stay in touch with y'all. Because I, I can tell you, Ted, I've been on the show with you, and you've allowed me to be on this show with you a lot. But this has been one of the best shows we've ever done. Uh, talking about how people can improve, what we do as
1: instructors, it's been a great show. Well, I appreciate it. And, you know, th- this is, uh, as as you mentioned earlier, Clint, you know, as as the industry changes um, so do I with the program I want to you know move into i don 't want to just talk about the same things week in week out with right. you know how do you fix the slice? How do you do this? I want to in, engage the instructors. I want people to understand um, you know and i don 't want to use the, the buzzword it 's a movement, but i 'm really trying to open up doors if I can through this program to allow people such as yourselves an opportunity to platform if you will to communicate with one another, to share your thoughts and views and ideas. And sometimes we're, you know, we're going to talk a little uh, golf and, and how we can help those players out there. Um, but really what we want to do is, is talk about some of the things that they need to do to engage with us. Uh, it's not just about picking up the phone or going up to your, your local uh, golf venue. Uh, it's about really reaching out to the golf community and saying, Hey, I, I want to be a better golfer. And there's some great instructors across this nation and, and really around the globe, and uh, I want to be somebody in that niche, if you will, that helps bring them together and shares it with the audience. So I think I've been doing that here the last several years with the program, and we're going to keep getting bigger and better as, as it goes on. And uh, I appreciate uh, you guys giving your time always, and thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks,
3: Type. Appreciate it. All right, thank you. Uh, having fun.
1: All right, not a problem. Uh, take care, guys, and until next yes. time, have a Good great night, week. Good night, guys. Good night. All right, that was my uh, special guests on the Coach's Corner panel tonight: uh, Scott Millman, Clint Wright, uh, and uh, Tony Brooks, uh, who I mentioned was uh, uh, on the panel uh, for the first time tonight. Uh, I see my uh, my next uh, my guest this afternoon or this evening, excuse me, uh, is ready to come on. So let me bring uh, her here. Let me just do a, a quick uh, intro. Uh, my, my very special guest, as I mentioned, is uh, Peggy Rhodes-White uh, earlier in the show. Uh, she is the daughter of golf uh, pioneer and legendary uh, Theodore, or Ted Rhodes as he's known, uh, considered to be one of the greatest golfers of his era. Uh, he was a native of Nashville, Tennessee, or sorry, she's a native of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, she attended uh, Tennessee State University and later became a top uh, performing sales professional in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, medical supply industry as well, working for several Fortune 500 companies such as Johnson & Johnson and Beckton Dixon. Uh, in 94, uh, Peggy founded the uh, Ted Rhodes Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit 501 501c3 uh, corporation incorporated in Tennessee and Illinois. And as its president, uh, she manages the Ted Rhodes Golf Classic, uh, the Legends Pro-Am Golf Tournament, as well as the Ted Rhodes Junior Golf Skills Challenge. Uh, and it ensures that the legacy of Ted Rhodes, her father, of course, is uh, not forgotten. Uh, she's implemented the first female division as well as the uh, junior division of the Classic. And Peggy's a strong advocate for both uh, women and youth in golf. Uh, and being an advocate for her father is really, uh, has really become her life's work. Uh, she successfully lobbied to have him uh, to be inducted into the Tennessee Golf Hall of Fame. And because of her commitment in advocacy, ski, she was inducted into the African uh, Golfers Hall of Fame as well and is the recipient of the National Women of Achievement uh, Incorporated and uh, also the Chicago Chapter uh, Profiles a Prominent Award. Uh, As a principal of the uh, uh, Sid uh, Wise uh, Productions, which is a multimedia production company in Chicago, uh, Peggy continues to promote and market events, which includes the uh, UFBL annual golf event and various uh, cities uh, throughout the country. Uh, As a production coordinator for the highly acclaimed uh, stage show review "All Things Mayfield," uh, starring performing uh, former lead singer and uh, for the uh, impressions uh, Reginald Torian, and uh, managing the career of Sid Brown. Uh, As well known uh, musical uh, artist, uh, arranger, and producer, among many other activities. Uh, let me bring out my very special guest this evening, uh, Peggy Rhodes. Peggy, good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hi, good evening, Peggy. Hi, good evening, Peggy.
5: This
6: is Deborah Adale. I'm just listening in.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. All right, Deborah. Sorry, thank That's you.
6: That's okay. Um,
1: I'm just waiting for uh, Peggy. I thought that was her there, and I apologize. Um, I'm That's not sure.
6: That's okay. No problem.
1: I'm not sure what. Uh, maybe she's a little bit late calling in, but uh, Deborah, good to have you. I know your daughter is going to be joining us in a little while. Uh, Asia is going to be joining us, and She's a young aspiring uh, golf professional, and uh, we're going to talk right. with her a, a little bit as well. Yeah, so. I, I,
6: I'm Asia. I actually just tuned in right now.
1: Oh, okay, perfect. All right, well, just hang tight, and I'm just waiting for for Peggy to uh, to come on board, and uh, we'll be good to go.
6: Okay, sounds great.
1: All right. Um, just let me recap, everybody, uh, for tuning into the show. We're just I'm just waiting for for Peggy Rhodes to uh, to uh, call into the show. I thought I had her online here. Um, one of the things that I try to do as I was mentioning to the, to the panel discussion tonight, uh, Clint uh, Wright and, and Scott Millman and, and Tony Brooks, uh, all great uh, uh, professionals in the golf industry. You know, one of the things that we want to do with this program is really to uh, be able to create a platform for not only great players out there, great coaches, uh, but to create an opportunity for you, the, the audience, to, to listen to some different viewpoints, different perspectives, if you will, uh, out in the golf profession. And it's not as we talked about earlier in some of our conversation, it's not really about um, the latest and greatest equipment, uh, lots of good stuff out there, but it's about how you can improve your game um, while you're out in the golf course. And sometimes we all get caught up in in going out there and and getting the latest and greatest equipment, thinking that's going to help us. But uh, in reality, um, you know, whether you go out and purchase a $400 driver or a new putter, It's really up to your own efforts whether you're going to do that. And there's a lot of great coaches and teaching professionals out there that can help you uh, tune up your game. And and I strongly suggest you contact your local PGA or LPGA professional in your area uh, or USGTF as well uh, and work with them and get into a program with them if you want to improve your game. I I see now I think Peggy is is here with me. So let me bring uh, my very special guest, Peggy Rhodes. Good evening, Peggy. How are you? and still not. Let me try this one. Good evening, Peggy. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. And not that one either. I don't know. I'm having terrible luck tonight. I'm not sure what uh, what the problem is, but uh, let me see. Just... Hi. Right, good evening, Peggy.
5: Good evening.
1: Hey, Peggy. I finally got you. Uh, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Um, I've already uh you, Peggy, so um, the folks already know who, who's coming on and, and so forth, but uh, we've got uh, Deborah Adele as well and uh, Asia Adele uh, on the line with us as well. So, uh, Peggy, let me, just, let me just do this, uh, if you will. I know that you've got somebody with you as well. Do you want to, uh, to introduce them?
5: Yes, his name is Sid Brown. He is on the board of directors of the Ted Rhodes Foundation. He'll say good evening.
1: Good evening, Ted. Good evening, Sid, and welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live. Um, uh, glad everybody's on here what I'm going to do Peggy is I'm going to do this first I-, I want you to just walk, walk the audience now I know you've been on here you were on a couple of years ago I think it was actually February 20th 2014 was the first time that you came on the show and we talked about uh, a little bit about the foundation and we talked about the, the tournament that was coming up um, and we, we did talk uh, obviously about your, your father um, Teddy Rhodes I-, I want you to just sort of briefly recap a little bit about who Ted Rhodes was um, obviously what he meant to you and the legacy that you're trying to live, leave um, on his behalf. Uh, talk a little bit about that, and then we'll move into some of the things that you're doing with the foundation, and then we'll bring uh, Asian in uh, the conversation as well, okay?
5: Excellent. Okay, well, I just want to start off by saying thank you very much for having me back again. I'm looking forward to sharing some exciting information with those who might be listening uh, online and on the radio so I want to start off by saying my father learned golf, believe it or not, as a teenager. And he learned it working as a caddy. And the really exciting thing about it is his first set of golf clubs, he was so determined that he wanted to play golf, he made them from a clothes hanger. Can you believe that? Mm. Wow. <laughs> and he also had the experience of caddying at two of the most expensive country clubs in nashville back in those days which was you know probably un- unheard of the bell Mead and richland country club and i'm just going to hit on some highlights because there's so much sure. information about my dad we'd be here for the next two right. hours
3: <laughs>
1: but
5: one of the things that i want to point out too is that people called him rags i don't know if you've heard that name
1: before yes
5: and and why would you think that they called him rags ted
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know
5: Okay, and it wasn't because he wore raggedy clothes. It was just the opposite. He was very elegant and flashy in his dress. And one of the stories that one of the golfers told me is that he went out and played 18 holes he had on all white, and he was so proud of himself. And he came back, and he didn't have a speck of dirt on his clothes. So he really took great pride in his dress. But what was really exciting, I think, too, about my dad is that he had a passion, and his passion was to to play golf. He never worked a day in his life, believe it or not. Back in those days, he never worked a job. And it was difficult for me to understand that because most parents would at least go to a job. Well, his job was golf, and that's all he ever wanted to do. And he enjoyed teaching others the game of golf as well. And for those who may or may not know, he was Joe Lewis's personal uh, golf instructor, uh, as well as his valet and, and playing partner, and then in later years, as he you know began to age, Althea Gibson came in and he mentored <clears throat> her as well as Lee Elder, and Lee Elder's uh, first African American golfer to play in the Masters, and of course Althea Gibson, the, the great tennis player, and Tiger Woods when he won his first Masters took the time to acknowledge my dad as one of the pioneers that paved the way for him. He also played in 1948, and I took the time today to pull the scores. He played in the U.S. Open in Hmm. L.A. at the Riviera Country Club, and he shot a 70 in the first round and finished in the 21st place. And he was recognized at that time as the first African-American professional golfer. And someone told me that Ben Hogan had said he didn't want to play with him because he felt like he was too good, so he was afraid to play (laughs) with him because he felt like he might beat him. So, I thought that was an interesting story.
1: You know what, go ahead sorry. Sorry. go ahead Peggy. No what I was going to ask you was what do you think it was about golf that i mean we I'll give you an example. Um, most people that get into golf were introduced you know by a parent or, or a family member. Mm-hmm. What was it about golf that uh, what was it the, the the bug, if you will that that bit your father that sort of got him interested in playing golf? Um, what was about the sport that he liked uh, that that you can recall?
5: That's an interesting question, and I guess to answer that, I think when he started to caddy, because that was like a part-time job for him, sure. he watched others play golf, and I, he looked at it and thought it was something that he wanted to do or that he would like to do. And so I think that's really, I mean, I think there's—I don't think anything else inspired him other than seeing others play, people play that were, you know, very um, prominent, <laughs> if you will, right. and, and I think that was uh, inspiring to him.
1: Now, he was self taught, correct? I mean he pretty much taught himself. Yeah, he was actually
5: Well he right, he was. He practiced he did a lot of practicing I understand. And he just watched others play and that's how he picked it up. He was definitely self taught. He had no instructor, no one to mentor him. He basically mentored himself. You're absolutely correct.
1: And and that's you know, to me, some of the best golfers of, of that era and and beyond You know, certainly many of them had uh, instructors, but not like they do today. Today they've got their mental coach, they've got their physical coach, they've got their golf uh coach. Coach and so forth, and it and it's literally like a machine, if you will, a uh, well-oiled machine. But back in that time, Peggy, uh, when your father was was up and coming uh, in in the golf business, um, they didn't have what they have available today. So you pretty much had to go out there and, and you know hit thousands of balls and and sort of work and watch other players to sort of pick up tips. You didn't really have the same uh, availability that you do now, correct?
5: Correct. And what he did, I understand because, you know, obviously I was so much younger then. But I understand what he did is he would go over in the park and he would hit shag balls. And that was, you know, I guess back then that was his way of practicing. And you're absolutely right, but he had no one to to teach him the game. He just learned the game simply on his own, which was fascinating to me that someone could pick up that game back in those days when – you were not playing in the country club or you could not play with other people and that you would end up being as successful as he was.
1: Yeah. And, and that, that really speaks volumes about his abilities, not only as uh, a golfer, of course, but as, um, as a man, you know, there were a lot of challenges as, and we'll talk a a little bit about that as well. I mean, obviously, um, as we all know, we've talked about this the last time you were on the show, uh, during that era uh, of the PGA, there was a, a Caucasian-only clause in, in that. And I know that uh, you know there was a lot of fighting that went on uh, afterwards in order to, to remove that. And, then, of course, it changed into invitation-only um, as a way of, of blocking uh, many young, great uh, uh, you know black golfers that were coming up to be able to play in the sanctioned events. So your father was really... Um, a pioneer. Now, we all know Tiger Woods and, and of course, uh, Lee Elder and, and, and of course, uh, the late Charlie Sifford, uh, who, who helped pave the way as well, but really your father was the first pioneer in the African-American community to uh, to get that sort of foot through the door for many of the golfers that followed later.
5: He was, and also, too, he and Bill Spiller was instrumental in mm-hmm. in the litigation against the PGA, and they were really excited because, you know, you're absolutely right, They they won the lawsuit, but then they changed the Uh, Right. Invitation only, so you're absolutely right.
1: I want to ask you, you know, given what we know now, and and when we look at, uh, especially a player of of Tiger's prominence, and and I I don't want to gloss over the others. I mean, uh, again, Charlie Sifford, uh, you know, was really the first, um, you know, black golfer that played on a regular basis on the PGA Tour, and I believe he had two victories uh, on the PGA, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I remember he was also inducted into the uh, the Golf Hall of Fame. And In fact, I watched that evening, and, and uh, it, it literally it literally brought tears to my eyes. It was uh, it was an honor to see him being honored uh, on on the stage there with with the other members. Um, but really, despite what's happening and what happened with Tiger Woods coming out on the stage back in 1997 and just really blowing the field away for many many years, um, we're still not seeing a lot of. Um, African American golfers coming out on the tour. We're seeing certainly a lot of Asian golfers and other ethnicities. Why are we not seeing um, a lot of African American golfers coming into to the golfing world? Is it accessibility, or, or what are some of the reasons? Do you think?
5: I think, in my opinion, it obviously accessibility is important, but also finance expenses is very. You know, as you noted, golf is a very mm-hmm. expensive game, and they're mm. also Oftentimes with our African-American players, they don't have the necessary funds to compete. Years right. ago, we had a professional golf division, and it was, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And we had, at that time, over 100 young golfers who were participating in the tournament. But now they've gotten older and they have no interest because they could not devote full-time to their golfing career. They had to stop and take a job. And those, and they, they were, you know, good golfers. There's still one out there, but I think he's playing on some tour overseas. Tim O'Neill, he played in our event. He's probably the youngest one that's still out there trying to to make it happen. And that's one of the reasons why the foundation, we'll get into that, is why we're trying to be uh, instrumental in assisting young people like the Asia Dales. And we're working, we'll be giving a scholarship to Christian Heavens. I know you've probably heard of him. Mm Yep. And then we have two young girls here in Chicago called the Birdie Sisters, Erica and Maya Jackson. So we're doing what we can from our end, but we're only one organization. So right. we need these corporations to reach out and, and assist us in helping these young people achieve their dream. But I think that's why they just kind of get frustrated and lose interest. And they have they don't have mentors and role models and coaches and people to work with them to push them, propel them ahead and making sure that they do, you know, what it is that they want to do in terms of their golf career.
1: Right. Um, While we're on the subject of of the foundation, we're going to talk about that here in just a moment, but what I'd like for you to do first, she's, she's actually on the line with us now, but I'd like for you to to introduce Asia and and explain your relationship with her. And, and I know you mentioned to me uh, in, in our uh, correspondence that, uh, uh, she's involved with you uh, through the foundation as well. So, um, please introduce her. Give us a little bit of background on her and and uh, and the relationship that you're developing.
5: Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have her to talk about herself, but I'll tell you, our relationship (laughs) to the foundation, she's one of our rising stars. And that's one of the reasons why we are doing this, because we wanted to be able to assist up-and-coming God professionals. And I was introduced to Asia through someone else, actually, and I was fascinated. And when I finally met her face-to-face, I was even more impressed, because she's very focused, very goal-oriented, very determined to accomplish her goals. She's very spiritual. So she had to me, she has all the components that one would need to succeed in becoming a LPGA professional golfer. So I'm really excited and, and really feel excited, honored that we can support her in whatever way we can. But in order to do that, Ted, we are going to need support from the corporate community as right. well. So uh, without further ado, I'll introduce Asia, and she can talk about herself.
1: All right, Asia. Well, uh, thank you, Peggy. Welcome.
5: Thank you, Ted. Thank you,
6: Peggy. Thank you both for uh, having me on today. Um, I'm very, very appreciative of what the uh, Ted Rhodes Foundation has done and is currently doing for me. I know uh, their mission is to really further minority advancement in golf, and uh, I've been playing since the age of five. I've always been very passionate about golf, and I'm really thankful that Peggy and I were able to start this wonderful relationship. But uh, currently, I am a touring professional. I'm playing uh, on the Cactus Tour, which is a mini tour based out of Arizona. I've got a full schedule on the Cactus Tour, and I'm seeing my coach here in Las Vegas in between tournament play. But um, I've got a long history of competitive golf experience. I've played uh, in high school. I grew up in uh, Alabama, but in high school, Mm -hmm. I was uh, in Fresno, California and played uh, all four years, led my high school team to four Valley Championships, something that had never been done in our school history. I went on to compete at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. There I also had a pretty decorated resume, and I was a two-time MVP, set the school record my freshman year. So that was quite an accomplishment, which uh, led me right into the professional ranks. I knew that that's what I've always wanted to do since I was a little girl. And uh, like Peggy said, I've been very focused since, and all of my mini-tour competition is ultimately preparing me for uh, Q School. I'll be going to LPGA Qualifying School this August, the 22nd through the 28th at Mission Hills Country Club in Rancho Mirage, California.
1: Wow, congratulations, and, and I, I know you'll do well. Um, Asia, let me just ask you this. How did you, you – you, you obviously, you're still you're still young, but when you were a little bit younger – Um, How did you get into the game? How did you get introduced to golf? Uh,
6: When I was five years old, my dad actually introduced me to the game of golf. He is self-taught, learned how to play when he was in the military, and uh, put my first club in my hand when I was five years old. We were in our backyard in Alabama, and uh, he was chipping balls, and I looked at him do it with such ease, and I wanted to do it too. So we had a backyard that was quite spacious. I'd say it was about 50 yards long. And I remember my goal when I was growing up was just to hit it over that fence. So we spent tons of hours just in the backyard hitting balls. That's where I first started. And then from there I advanced to the driving range. And then after numerous driving range sessions and him getting me my first actual golf coach, uh, we went to the course. We took it to the course, and he taught me the game of golf from the green out, much like Tiger Woods' uh, dad Earl Mm -hmm. taught him. So, uh, yeah, I eventually eventually graduated to uh, the 150 marker. So the barber pole in the middle of the fairway was my T-marker. That's where I'd start out and then uh, went all the way back to the T-boxes. And I was hooked. I was hooked on golf at an early age and really haven't stopped since.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's, uh, it's one of those things once you get and it. You know, this is really what uh, I'm hoping happens uh, over the next, uh, you know, there's a lot of great junior programs all over the, the nation now. And uh, some, of course, are feeders into the tours uh, and into collegiate golf and so forth and, and of course, high school. Um, but really, I would like to see golf even branch out. And there are a lot of efforts right now around the country to get into uh, even the elementary schools just as an introductory or an after-school program. Uh, because I think once, as, as Asia, as you just talked about, once you sort of get introduced to it um, at an early age, um, whether you have aspirations to play professional golf or not – um, once that, that golfing bug bites you, it, it doesn't go away. And even if you drop the clubs for a few years, at some point down your, your career and through your life, you'll pick them up again. Um, and it's something that you can play well into your golden years as well. Unlike a lot of other sports that, that uh, have high physical demands, uh, golf is something that, uh, that you can play, um, as many do well into their nineties. So, um, uh, great work and, and congratulations. Peggy, let, I want to flip back to you and, and Asia. I want you to, to certainly feel free to chime in at any point. Uh, and Sid, I haven't okay. forgotten you. You're welcome to, to jump in. Uh, if you have any thoughts or comments you would like to make, I'd uh, be more than happy to, uh, to have you do that as well. Um, Peggy, let's talk about the foundation. Uh, give us a, 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 again, a bit of an overview. What are you doing uh, with the foundation now and, and where do you see it growing and, and, and changing as time goes on?
5: Well, what we're doing with the foundation now is I'm really excited because I, too, am focused and really want to assist people like the Asia Dales and the other folk that are out there, you know, trying to make things happen. So what we're doing, Ted, is providing opportunities too for even juniors. You mentioned young people. Well, mm-hmm. we we have, and that's something that I'll speak to shortly, but we have a junior golf I guess you would call it not division because there are so many junior golf programs out there, but what we want to do is provide opportunities for them to actually play golf because, you know, there are all kinds of junior programs, but then where do they go and and compete? So that's what we're attempting to do. That's our role as well as the the Asia Dales. And Asia mentioned, too, our mission is to preserve and honor the legacy, of course, of of my dad, but to give Mm -hmm. everyone the opportunity to play Play the game. And I think that's one of the things that young African American golfers lack, either male or female. There are very few opportunities for them to play in competitive events. So that's what we're trying to do. And then we're providing scholarships for, like, the Asia Dales. And I'm really excited that we were connected with Asia so that she has the same spirit and the same enthusiasm that my dad had for the game. And so it's it's almost like deja vu, but instead of a male, I'm helping a, a young female. So this is really exciting mm-hmm. for us. So that's the way we're going. We're out uh, trying to identify those young people like the Asia Dales who need some financial support because obviously right. it's very expensive in Asia. You can yes. attest to that. I correct? Can definitely <laughs> yes, most definitely <laughs> at this level, the
6: mini tour level is where it's extremely expensive, and you're you know, covering your own travel costs and accommodations right. along, along with the entry fees. So it really does add up. That's why having the support of organizations and foundations like the Ted Rhodes Foundation is is huge. It really, really helps us out at this level. And I'm I'm so appreciative. I'm so thankful for what they've done and what they're continuing to do for me.
5: And, and, well, yes, and, and to sorry. piggyback on that, Ted, just quickly I just want to say we're mm-hmm. calling this, this particular segment of the Foundation of Rising Star Program.
1: I can't, I can't think of a better name to, to uh, attach that. That's fantastic. Um, the other thing, too, um, Asia, that I want to mention, uh, you know, when you're reflective of your costs, is is also you mentioned you're working with a coach. You know, you've got that added expense as well. In order to be competitive, you've got to have somebody in your corner uh, that can help, uh, you know, put the pieces together. It's not just, you know, ultimately it's on your talents, but you need somebody there, another set of eyes, if you will, um, to help you to be able to see what it is, um, you know that you're doing either correctly or not correctly, or where you need to to uh, put more of your efforts into to, uh, to in order to be competitive. So that's an additional cost as well that that can be quite expensive at times. I'm sure.
6: Most definitely, like you hit on <laughs> a little bit earlier, Ted. Golf has evolved so much nowadays that yeah. it really does take a team to succeed and to compete at the highest level. It's not just the individual. Now you're talking swing coaches, mental coaches. physical conditioning teams and trainers and the whole nine yards. And being uh, a part of a team and having the right people around me was actually what sparked my move from Fresno, California, where I went to high school, to Las Vegas, where I'm currently located because this is where my golf coach is. So there's a lot of sacrifices at this level, and a lot goes into uh, reaching your goals and accomplishing your dreams
1: well i see now and, and see it becomes clear obviously and peggy as you know i'm i'm on social media as, as we all are and you know i i saw over the last little while i i'd seen a number of photos peggy on your page uh, about las vegas and i thought you were just going to do a little gambling but i see now you're going to visit asia as well so i'm, I'm happy about that i'm glad it's it's twofold uh, you get a sort of a twofer if you will uh going to las vegas um but you know it it, it takes a lot and and Peggy, I want to ask you, just go back to your father just a little bit here. Um, what do you think, seeing what you're doing with the foundation, do you think that that was part of his uh, vision as well, is to sort of continue on, not just with his legacy. I mean, I, I'm sure he was a very humble man. and It's not all about, you know, uh, Ted Rhodes per se. It's about passing on what, what he learns and, you know, the um, challenges that he did, on to the next generations, not just with his immediate family, but also with with future uh, generations as well. Is is that kind of the vision, do you think, that he had, uh, and is that what you're trying to accomplish with the Ted Rhodes Foundation?
5: Oh, most definitely, because the fact that he was able to, or that he wanted to, or he got so excited about mentoring the Lee elders of the world, the Althea Mm -hmm. Gibson, and things like that. And also, I'm sure I can say you know, without even thinking about it, that he would be very happy to know that the foundation that bears his name is carrying well, on well. his legacy through helping young people like the Asia Dales, the Birdie Sisters, the Christian Heaven, <clears throat> those young people. So yes, I think he would be. He, there would be a smile on his face, and he would be very happy that we are doing that because we're accomplishing one of the things that he that he wanted. To, that he wanted to do and so I, I i can't agree to that
1: yeah yeah and and i i'm sure i'm sure he would um has a very big smile on his face with with the work that you're doing peggy and, and i know you're very very active uh not just with the foundation but with other areas as well let's talk about the tournaments uh coming up you you obviously at one point started with the main event um let's talk about that uh, when is that first off and and obviously, it continues to grow. And then you've added some additional stuff over the years as well. You've got two other events. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. But let's talk about the main event, which I believe comes in September. Is that correct?
5: Correct. The main event is September the 10th through the 11th. And that one, you know, for, for I guess, for, for legacy purposes and to, mm-hmm. I'm sure he was smiling, we have that at the Ted Roads Golf Course in Nashville. And right. actually, initially, it started out as a pro-am event. We were able to have professionals as well as amateurs, but as the economy kind of slowed down quite a bit, we were able to only keep it as an amateur event. We had a pro purse and the whole bit, but we had sponsors that were right. that contribute to that purse. But we still continue to do the event in Nashville, and it always has been the weekend after Labor Day. And mm-hmm. people come from all over, well, they would come from all over the world. Many of the golfers who played as I would say back in the day, they, uh, you know, made their transitions. They're no longer with us. So now we're right. looking for young people to uh, come in and, and, and take that spot where we once had, you know, people that were um, a little bit uh, more seasoned, for lack of a better word. So we right. continue to have that. That's a uh, 36-hole <laughs> stroke play event, two-day event. And, we you know, we just gonna keep it going for as long as we can. But I'm really excited that we've added two other events. And one is, I'll just backtrack a little bit. I'll start with the one that I'm very passionate about is the junior event. And that's for Mm -hmm. ages 5 through 18. But we do that with the first tee of Hammond. We partner with the first tee. Because once again, they have the junior golf program, but they don't do a lot of events. So the kids go out and they learn the skills, but they don't get a chance to compete. And that's where we feel that we fit into that niche. Because we're providing a, a tournament like atmosphere. We have a, a full day tournament. They get prizes and ditty bags and the whole bit. You know, we treat uh. them like professionals. They get lunch and they really enjoy it and they compete. And so that has been something that has really been exciting to me because now I'm seeing future Tiger Woods or whatever they may decide to be. But what's so important. Or exciting about it, Ted, is we have a lot of females. We actually have almost as many Mm. females as we do males participating in the junior event.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic.
5: That's that's how I met the Birdie sisters. They started playing with us when they were four years old. Now one has just got a full uh, golf scholarship to one of the HBCU schools. And the other, and also they played on their golf, on the men's golf team here in Chicago, and played scores (laughs) were better than all the guys put together. (laughs) <laughs> those those sisters can really play, and, and the youngest sister is in her senior year, so she'll be getting ready to go to college. So we're supporting uh, supporting them as well with our junior event. And then lastly, I have a young lady who somehow or another talked me into doing an event in St. Louis because my <laughs> father played at Forest Park Golf Course. Right. And she thought that that would be an excellent uh, place for us to have an event. So we're having a one-day corporate charity event there, but we're bringing in Lee Elder, which mm-hmm. will be exciting because Lee played there as well, and then we're bringing in Todd Kirstead. Are you familiar with him?
1: Uh, I'm not familiar with him. Lee I, Lee, I do know, but I'm not familiar with Todd, no.
5: Okay, Todd is a, was voted the number one trick shot artist in 2014, and mm-hmm. so he was featured on TMZ and ESPN, so he's going to be coming in wowing uh, the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and so that should be fun. So oh and we're also going to have uh, pros on the par three hole. So that should really be an exciting uh, event and it's gonna be more more or less a team scramble because it's more corporate uh corporate uh people playing the game as opposed to, you know, individuals. So we're looking forward right. to that as being something different. We're actually uh using the, the theme beat the pro. <laughs> so,
1: oh wow. That should um, be that no. should be
5: interesting. We're going to have pros, you know, a few pros out there on the par 3, so we'll see how these corporate people are able to compete with them. And it's just going to be a fun day. It's going to be a full day. We have invited Asia in. She's going to be participating um, as well. This will be before she goes off to tour school, so it will give her something different and exciting to do before she goes off to begin to qualify for the LPGA Tour.
1: Yeah, that's Most yeah. You, you want you want to have some fun before you go to Q school. I can guarantee that because that's going to be that's uh, <laughs> always going to be. <laughs> hey, let me let me yeah, uh, Peggy. Let
6: me just. Yeah, will be
1: fun. Yeah, yes. Peggy. Let me just ask you real quick here because um, I don't think you gave it out. Um, the um, corporate challenge. What are the dates and and where is that taking place? And then also the junior event as well. What were the dates in that? For that, I don't think you gave those.
5: Right, we're not right. The junior event is July twenty fourth. And okay. and that's going to be in Hammond, Indiana, at Lost okay. Marsh Golf Course. Okay. All right. And then and the, the other event, the uh, corporate event, is August the 8th. That's, it's only a one-day event. That's on a right. Monday. And that's going to be at Forest Park Golf Course in St. Louis. Okay. And okay, then, of good. course, the Ted Rhodes event is at the Ted Rhodes Golf Course in Nashville and you know they can get further information on our website which is org.
1: yeah that was going to be my next question now you, you talk about you've you I guess you've re, have you revamped the website you mentioned that it was new oh yeah um, yeah it's uh, it's
5: yeah it's smart looking have you seen it lately ted <laughs> i
1: i haven't gone on it I, did, I i meant to go on it today i I've, I've been on it you know obviously from time to time but i haven't been on it recently when i saw that um I I will go on after the show and and see what you've done with it. Uh, It was a good website actually before, so um, I'm sure it's even better now. I want to talk about, um, because you had mentioned that, you know, you have a lot of passion with junior golf. And and Asia, I want you to to also uh, be included in this conversation, being, you know, a young lady yourself. Um, I'm very passionate about introducing golf to, to, you know, new individuals particularly juniors and also women um your thoughts peggy first and then then asia the the generations that are coming up today asia you're 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 kind of on the outside of that because you obviously grew up with golf very very young but today's generation a lot of distractions with social media i mean everybody's you know on an iphone or a smartphone or something and you know the industry is really having a tough time breaking through that glass ceiling. Um, Peggy, in your opinion, what are some things that you're trying to do with your junior program to really, you know, sort of sink your teeth in and get some of these juniors out? What are some of the things you're trying to do? And Asia, I'd like your thoughts and input as well on how we sort of break through that that barrier and get this younger generation out to play. Peggy, you go first.
5: I think, you know, as you ask that question and I think about it, that's something that has you know, been 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 on my mind too because even for our events, we have really in Asia. I don't know if you if you've seen this, but we really have a difficult time getting females to mm-hmm. to play the game. But I think you know, especially with the juniors' TED, if we can make it fun and exciting. I mean, young people I find they do like to compete, but they also like the fun element of it as well. So we try right. to make it and exciting for them but also let them know the benefits that they can get from playing golf like for instance especially the young girls who are you know in high school or a little older we explain to them that corporate major corporate deals are made on the golf course so That's golf right. is thing that if you don't want to do it as a full-time position or a professional golfer you at least need to learn the game because in my opinion it's a mental game so it gives you an opportunity to think and you're competing basically with yourself. <laughs> so there are a lot of right. benefits to me for for even, you know, young people but especially it's been difficult, I'll be very honest for me with females. I've done everything that I could to get them involved. We have uh, we established a female division because there was never one with the Ted Rhodes, it was always male division. So we established right. a female division. We had them for a while, but it's just been very challenging. It's not something that we're gonna give up on, but we just have to think of some creative and unique ways to get more females involved. Go ahead.
0: Yeah I I, I kinda of wanted to jump in here and add that Sure. I think that another thing that the foundation is really big on is letting the children know, letting the youth know that there are so many other offshoot professions right. that come playing golf. It's not just golf. You usually just see, oh, we see the top layer, and then you know, we see Tiger, oh, mm-hmm. we see the climber, we see everything that goes along with that. But there are a lot of other things that they can do in addition to just playing golf that are equally as lucrative.
1: Sure. And
0: equally as much fun. I think that's important, too.
5: Yeah, because he's talking about like working at the golf courses, as golf right. pros, things like that. Yeah, architect, yeah. you know, right. uh,
0: landscaping, uh, some people are into most of things, uh, the business end of it, even, you know. Right. Well, and I was going get... to
5: say too, Ted. One of the things that we we are doing, it's actually a trial run. We're doing with the uh, first T of Hammond. We're doing huh. some, uh, well, giving them an opportunity to speak so that they learn speaking skills. It's actually a program under Toastmasters International, and it's effective communication. So we're kind of tying that in as well as career development. There's a piece that we do on career development so they can understand, like Sid was saying, not only can you become a golfer, but you can be a, a golf pro, you can work at a golf shop, you can do golf clothes. You know, there's just so many apparel. There's just so many other different aspects of golf other than playing the game.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're exactly right. And, and Sid, thank you for for, uh, for making that point. You know, one of the things... Um, and Peggy, I'm sure you're aware of this from all the posts that I put on uh, through social media and that to promote the show, but I also have another program uh, that I do Tuesday mornings called the Women of Golf, and that Mm -hmm. uh, features uh, my co-host, LPGA professional Cindy Miller, and the point I was going to make with that, Cindy, of course, uh, has not only played, she was on um, one of the early big breaks, um, and uh, she was also, uh, has played on the LPGA as well as the Legends Tour now, um, but she's a teacher professional, but the point I was going to make, uh, in addition to that was that her daughter, uh, even though she plays a little bit of golf is not really a big golfer, but she's a producer at the golf channel. So mm-hmm. like you, your point Sid, was that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the next tour player or the next, uh, even teaching professional. Um, golf can offer so many other avenues, um, out there. And as Cindy pointed out many times in our program. You know, her daughter, again, plays once in a while, but is not necessarily a big proponent of playing golf herself, but she enjoys being around the the industry in a different fashion. So, you know, she's able to produce some of the great programs that you see on the Golf Channel. Um, Asia, your take on this. Yeah, I was just getting ready to chime in. Yep.
6: I definitely agree with you all that um, women should be involved in golf, not to necessarily pursue it professionally or reach, you know, top-tier status, but because of everything else that it teaches and everything else that it offers, it's so multifaceted from, you know, character values like the Ted Rhodes Foundation teaches and the first T teaches, you know, honesty, integrity, everything that comes along with golf for juniors. Juniors can learn that, but female professionals could also learn a lot from uh, getting involved in the sport and the networking opportunities that could come from, on the golf course you know as you guys mentioned earlier in the segment when you had the uh, pros on there's a rare opportunity to spend some time with somebody for four and a half to five hours you can get that on the golf course and that's that's huge deals are closed on the business on the uh, golf course and you know lots of great interactions are made on the golf course so you know i definitely agree with that
5: I was going to say, too, Asia and Ted, that's a good point you bring up because that's one of the reasons why we've brought the Toastmaster aspect into it because there's a segment in Toastmasters that's called Topic uh, it's a, well, Topic Master. Well, what happens is you come up with a topic and it gives you an opportunity to speak and think on your feet. And, you know, for young people, we find that they're very shy. So the more that they're able to communicate with their peers or even with not their peers, it makes it even more... Uh, Challenging and exciting for them, and then also Ted with the adult females. What I tell them is, you find uh, the most quality uh, men, single men, on the golf course.
1: Oh yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: that that is true. That is true. Um, let me just add this, and, and just to, to further what Asia was talking about, because uh, I, I made that point earlier. You're right, Asia. I made that point earlier uh, about you know doing business on the golf course. Um, there is no other. Um, really area that does more business deals than on the golf course. And that's been proven. That's been, And that's why you're seeing more and more uh, female business professionals starting to, to go. I mean, obviously it was predominantly a male uh, sport for, for many, many years. And I'm excluding the professional level, of course. Um, but a lot of women were very, um, you know, intimidated and, and whatnot. Some still are. And I think that's part of the problem too, Peggy um, and Asia, is that, there are still a lot of women that are very intimidated. They don't want to go and, and feel foolish out in the golf course. They maybe don't play very well or have never played. And they're more uh, apt not to, to pursue it because of that. But I think as, as young business professionals out there, um, you know, whether as Sid pointed out, whether they're, you know, in, uh, in the clothing aspect or whatever they may be, there is a great opportunity and a missed opportunity. If they don't go out and learn on some level, again, they don't have to be on the top echelon of golf, but go out and learn on some level because it's a great uh, business opportunity you can open doors. I and mean, where else do you have a, a prospective uh, client attention for four hours? There's no other way, right. th- way that you could do that. They're not going to sit in your office for four hours, but if you invite right. them out to a, to a golf event uh, you know, and, and play uh, for four hours, or even if you only played nine holes uh, for a couple of hours, you've got their undivided attention while you're out there. And it gives you an opportunity to see, uh, how they react under certain conditions, and uh, gives you a good idea of whether you even want to do business with that individual. I mean, if they're whipping clubs around and, and doing other things, um, you may not necessarily want to open up a business relationship. So it's a great opportunity. And it's also a great, particularly for women, it's a great social uh, opportunity as well. Again, they don't necessarily have to um, want to pursue uh, an LPJ career or what have you. Um, but there's a great social aspect to golf as well. Uh, many, many women now have, have realized this opportunity. But again, it's, it's through education and through exposure. Um, Asia, what does, you know, obviously I'm sure your, your mother is a big supporter of of, uh, uh, of your career, but uh, what advice or what, um, I guess, pointers, if you will, on your journey through golf has she given you, do you think?
6: You know, my mom, she's still a beginner, but she watches a lot of golf. She's heard my dad and I talk quite a bit about our rounds, and she's really, really knowledgeable. So my mom, throughout my career, has helped me to stay positive, has helped me to stay Mm -hmm. focused. In fact, uh, she traveled with me to Arizona for my last cactus tour event and really uh, helped me stay steady out there and helped me stay in a good frame of mind mentally so she knows she knows a lot about the game she's quite knowledgeable and she manages to uh, stay very positive she always you know sees the bright side of things and I think that's something uh, you definitely have to do in this sport because golf's hard and golf can beat you down at times but as long as you've got a positive outlook on the situation
5: um, it's definitely that's definitely the attitude to have. And, you know, speaking of attitude, that was one thing about my father that that I like and people often say is that he was always very positive. Even when things were not going the way I'm sure that he would have wanted them to be, he stayed upbeat and positive. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about him. Even now, uh, Ted and Asia, I've gone mm. and said I've gone to golf courses and people they don't know who I am, but I'll walk up, and they'll be talking about him. You know what a gentleman he was, and how mm. positive he was, but he was very passionate and very focused, so he stayed he stayed positive, even though things were obviously a lot more difficult then than they are now, right, but he just you know kept his mind and his eye on what it was that he wanted to do also Ted, I wanted to say one of the other things that we're doing the foundation we're doing a golf clinic. Now, at first we were going to do a women's golf clinic, and, we, you know, we have more women that are interested than men, but the other day I had a couple of men who are interested. So we may do a hmm. combination of both. But I think that will also be an opportunity to get women perhaps even excited or to understand the game, and it's going to be an eight-week golf clinic, and that's going to be through the foundation.
1: That's fantastic. Um, Asia, let me ask you uh, real quick um, about uh, your career. Obviously, right now, your pursuit is to, to get out in the LPGA and, and to be able to compete. But at some point down the road, uh, as, as we all do, um, you know, our competitive juices uh, sort of shift a little bit. Do you see yourself moving then at that point um, after you've had a successful career on the tour life, uh, maybe going back and, and, and giving back as so many have done uh, on the teaching side of things? Or do you have other aspirations as well?
6: You know, it's interesting that you asked that because that's definitely a conversation that I've had with my team in the past. And after I finish my uh, competitive career, I definitely plan to give back. That's actually something that I feel really, really passionate about because I know older women have um, a lot of incentives and a lot of reasons to play golf, especially on the business side of it. But sure. I really feel strongly about uh, – junior golfers, junior females in particular, having a role model, having somebody to look up to. I didn't necessarily have that uh, when I was younger and learning golf. I really looked up to Tiger Woods. I admired his sure. great skill. But on the female side, I really didn't have anybody until I got a little older and I really looked up to uh, Lorena Ochoa. I loved her class. Mm-hmm. I loved her poise. And she was up at the top in nearly every tournament she competed in. So I really looked up to her, and that's something, you know, that I want to want to stand for when I uh, make it to the LPGA. I want to be someone that the young girls can look up to, someone that they, you know, can aspire to be like, not only in terms of skill but in terms of character value and my grace and what I, what I stand for. So after my career's over, I can definitely see myself still, you know, involved in the golf industry because I'm so passionate about it, uh, definitely giving back to the community, in uh, one form or another, but uh, an, an idol, a role model, is, is what I feel like young girls are, are lacking right now. There's tons of uh, great girls out there on the LPGA, but I think golf may need women's golf may need a new face and someone a little more present.
1: Well, and well said. And you know, the interesting thing too, Asia is if you look at the statistics in golf, the the biggest growth in golf. Is in the women's market um, and so there's definitely an interest there um, women wanting to get out and wanting to participate not necessarily uh, again on a uh, competitive or uh, at a level that you're playing at but women are are starting to uh, again as I used earlier breaking through that glass barrier um, some a little slower than others but nevertheless it is happening I we've had many of them on the program uh, as I said on the women of golf show Cindy Miller and I and uh, we've had some great young up-and-coming professionals on the Symmetra Tour, and we've actually had a few off the Cactus Tour as well uh, on the show, And uh, which is going to be my next question to you, Asia. And, and uh, Peggy, I'll let you uh, help me coordinate this uh, since okay. I don't have the content information, but you can okay. forward my information on to Asia. Asia, I would like to uh, formally extend an invitation to come on for a separate interview um on the, on the program and let you talk a little bit more about your career and some of your things that you want to do as well um so if you're if happy, you're up more for a than game, happy if you so. Yeah if you're game for that then we'll we'll set that up and and uh and we'll get you uh, that sounds we'll fantastic. get you fantastic yeah, we'll get you on before you go to Q school while you're still in 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 some good spirits because you're gonna you know Q school is tough <laughs> as you as you know. So I want to I want to make sure you're you're up for. Oh, it's you come it's, on it's the a show. battle,
6: and <laughs> I'm prepared for it. That's what that's what I'm working on right now. It's a grind, so Five, I'll be that. ready come August.
1: I I know you will. I I have absolutely no doubts after uh, speaking with you this evening. Um, Peggy, we we're we're getting close to our time here, unfortunately. And I loved having you on, and you know you have an open invitation to come on any time uh, that you want to share that with uh, with my audience, of course. Um, but let's very quickly recap um, the dates and that uh, and the, the events, when they're coming up, and uh, where people can go to get more information, not only on the foundation, but also on the events as well.
5: Excellent. Well, my first event is coming up shortly, July 24th, ages 5 through 18 and we're partnering with the first of Hammond Lost Marsh Golf Course in Hammond, Indiana. The next event is August eighth, two 2016, which is a corporate charity event. We're having Lee Elder, Todd Kerstedt, and that's, that will be at the Forest Park Golf. Well, they call it something else, but it was originally called the Forest Park Golf Course in St. Louis. And we're providing scholarships at that time to Asia, Christian Heavens, and the Birdie Sisters. And our last event, uh, wrapping up the summer, is September the 10th through the 11th at the uh, Ted Rhodes Pro-Am Golf Classic, and that's going to be at the Ted Rhodes Golf Course in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the, all, of, all of the information regarding all three of those tournaments is on the website, and the website, once again, is www.tedroads.org. We have an 877 number if someone wants to call they're not computer literate it's eight seven seven nine one three nine zero zero nine
1: and uh and believe it or not there are a few out there that still haven't figured out how to turn the computer on so that's good that you have that information um peggy is always you know it's a pleasure to have you on here and and i you know i understand and i get you know the legacy that that your father has really left and, and what you're trying to do here and i think it's extremely important um you know, that we continue to open up doors um, for everyone and that we continue to break down those barriers. I want to see more um, juniors come into the game and I want to see a, a more diverse and broader spectrum on the uh, on uh, on the golf tours, not just on the tours, but in the business industry as well. I think that the more that we can do um, to expose um, the younger generations and, and women, of course, Uh, to the game of all of all ethnicities I think is important it's going to help grow the game and I think as I mentioned earlier um, Asia as I know you were tuning in earlier in the show you know I, I think that golf mimics life in so many ways there's so many not just business opportunities in the golf industry but it mimics life in its journeys if you will so very closely and there's a lot of things that people can learn great life lessons that people can learn by getting out on the golf course and being exposed to golf. And I think that if we can pry these uh, handheld devices out of some of these youngsters, we can get them out in the golf course and get them to shut down uh, social media a little bit and get out there and have some fun. As you said earlier, Peggy. Um, oh, I and, agree and I because pr-
5: we don't have all of them are basketball <laughs> players or football players and that, but they're, Sure, I'm sure there are some potential golfers out there, so they just need to be exposed to it and learn that that can be just as just as exciting as some of the other sports that our young people are involved in.
1: Well, and so many, you know, we see a lot of the pro athletes, uh, you know, whether it be football, baseball, all sort of transition after their, you know, careers mm-hmm. have ended. in, in that limelight, transfer, uh, you know, into, um, you know, Lawrence Taylor comes to mind. He was on the show here last year. Uh, he came on with, with Paula Pearson Tucker. Mm -hmm. and uh you know had a great show and of course you know his his football uh career has has wound down some years back but uh you know he goes out and has his own uh tournament of course in in south florida but you know so many of them do transition but i i would like to see uh more women like like asia young girls getting into the sport um you know getting in at an early age and and just you know taking it wherever it takes them and i think that you know again even if they don't choose to go to the level that you do asia i just think that if they get exposed to it there are so many other opportunities and doors that can be opened. and as peggy put out it's a great place to meet some great successful single men out in the golf course so that's and, that's an incentive right oh, there and, so, and
5: Sid said <laughs> and women too <laughs>
1: well yeah, that's true very
5: few now, very few ted that's what we're trying to do but let me just say too before we close real sure. quick i am really excited to have asia as part of you know the foundation because we we have been looking for someone like an asia with that kind of focus and that kind of energy and enthusiasm and i think she makes a good role model for us and so we're going to do everything we can to assist her but you know certainly we need support from the corporate community so ted if you would share perhaps our website and things like that with people uh, we would love to and I, i can't thank you enough for having us on and and I'm excited that I was able to bring Asia on board. And I'll make sure you get her contact information. Okay,
1: perfect. Yeah, thank um, Asia, you. thank I, you
5: I, so much, Ted.
1: You're you're very welcome. My I, pleasure, and and I will definitely, uh, Peggy. You you by all means send that information over to me. And, and Asia, I will reach out to you and and we'll set something up, uh, you know, around your schedule uh, when it's convenient for you to come on again. But uh, I, I enjoyed having you on. And and Sid, I, I, I want to. I'm going to give you the last uh, few words here, Sid. Uh, I, I'm assuming that you get out there and play golf a little bit yourself.
0: Yes, I do. I do. It's, it's kind of hard to fit things uh, into schedule, but uh, I, I do the best I can, as we all do.
1: And uh, actually, now, I'm, a,
0: I'm a professional musician, but right. uh, golf has, has been a, a passion of mine. And when I met Peggy and everything, and she told me about her father, I was really impressed not just by the information that she's given me, but over all the years that I've been working with the foundation and with Peggy, what she was saying earlier about what people were saying about Ted, about his character, as, as Asia talked about, uh, character being important, about his skill and everything else, she's correct. No one has ever said anything negative about Ted Rose. Everybody has always talked about how great he played and how great a man he was and i think that's an important thing we've got to learn our gentlemen and learn our gentlemen as to how they should be treating our young ladies
1: that's right well said um well peggy and and asia and sid i want to thank you very much for joining me tonight on golf talk live i enjoyed it as always peggy and and, um you know reach out anytime and i will do everything i can to help um, spread the word not only about the events but also about the uh, the foundation and that as well and, and you 're right, I think if we can twist a few corporate arms, I think that uh, you know we can do some great things so i 'll be more than happy to help you don 't ever hesitate to ask um, thank you
5: Ted I appreciate it it 's been a wonderful evening as well with uh, visiting with all of you so thanks again right. I enjoyed well, it th- as well. Uh, thanks for having us on Ted Peggy Sid. I enjoyed
6: chatting with all of you and i 'd like to welcome. Anyone tuning in to join me on my journey as well, I'll be playing in about half a dozen events before Q School. And all of my tournament results I post on my website at uh, com. so that's dot lcom as well as my Facebook page, and that's Asia Adele Golf. So anyone tuning in, I'd love to have you join me on my journey, and I welcome all the support.
1: Well, you you've got a, a, a new fan right here Asia I'm very happy and, and very proud that you've you've stepped up and I, and I, I wish you all the all the success um through it, your first journey through Q, Q school I know you'll uh get through no problem and I look forward to you, uh having a great career on the LPJ as well and uh as I said uh I will reach out to you shortly, and we'll set something up to have you come back on the show, and we'll talk a little more golf, something that we all enjoy. So, again, Peggy, um, Sid, and, and Asia, thank you very much for joining me on Golf Talk uh, Live tonight, and uh, much continued success. Sorry, go ahead, Peggy.
5: No, I was going to say thanks so much. It was oh. <laughs> a great conversation.
1: I love it as well. Thank you, guys. Have a great evening, great weekend, and God bless to all of you.
6: All right, you thank too. Thank you. Bye-bye. bye-bye.
1: All right, bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest, uh Peggy Rhodes White, uh daughter of uh, of course the late uh, Teddy Rhodes who was a, a, one of the really early pioneers uh uh in in golf uh, and uh he really helped pave the way for a lot of African-American golfers that followed him um as, as we discussed tonight, here Charlie Sifford, of course, and uh, Lee Elder, and uh, and many many others. Uh, some I didn't mention earlier: uh, Calvin Pete, uh Jim Thorpe, and uh, and of course uh, more more recently Tiger Woods, and uh, and also uh, helping to inspire young ladies as well uh, as uh, we had the pleasure of discussing with tonight uh, uh, Asia Adele, who's an up and comer and working her way to the LPGA, and I'm sure she's going to do very well. And I will have her, as I mentioned. Uh, several times on the show here uh, and have uh, some great discussion with her as well. I want to take this opportunity again, of course, to, to thank uh, the panel on coach's corner the, earlier this evening, uh, Clint Wright, uh, Scott Millman and uh, Tony Brooks. Thank you guys for doing a great job. And as always, uh, I, I can't thank my fans enough uh, for faithfully tuning in each and every week from all over the world. Uh, to golf talk live it's really a pleasure i mean that sincerely and i do have a great amount of enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches teacher professionals auth- authors and of course entrepreneurs uh, stop by the program and uh, it's really through their participation and guest appearance that have had, uh, that have helped to make golf talk live a first class show uh, also a special thank you to some of the sponsors and supporters of the program mr jonathan laird from south coast golf guide go to southcoastgolfguide.com And uh, get your copy. It's a great uh, publication that's been around for for over 20 years here in the southeastern part of the United States, filled with some great uh, golf courses, uh, literally from Texas right over here to uh, the northwest part of Florida and all states in between. Some great courses in there. Uh, So pick your copy of uh, South Coast Golf Guide. If you're interested in advertising the guide, uh, you can email Jonathan at Jonathan at SouthCoastGolfGuide.com, and he'll be more than happy to discuss some uh, advertising opportunities and publication. Uh, it has a very large distribution here and uh, gets a lot of uh, a lot of great positive feedback about the guide very professionally done so uh, again go to southcoastgolfguide.com uh, and see the online version as well it is in a paperback uh, copy as well um, full, uh, full color, but um, you can also view it online as well. Uh, Meredith Kirk, of course, from Meredith Kirk Golf out in uh, South Carolina in the Myrtle Beach area. Thank you, Meredith Kirk, uh, for all that you do as well. And she's going to be coming on the show here in uh, a couple of months. I think in June she's going to be coming on. She's getting ready to release a new book. So we're going to talk to her about that as well. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland. Nikki, of course, is a professional golfer and a golf pro such as myself and his lovely wife, Tiffany uh, thank you for all of your hard work in, in spreading the word about the program and all of your continued support as well. Uh, Mr. Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Uh, go to onticgolf.com and you can check out a uh, great custom uh, line of, of putters. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder, thank you for all of your continued support. Sean Kelly from owner of Linked Golfers. That's linkedgolfers.com. Uh, thank you for your support as well. Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland, a great teacher professional and club fitter. Thank you for all of your continued support. And on behalf of myself and my guests and all of you out there listening, I will see you next Thursday right here at 6 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great week.